Ken Burns' baseball documentary, Daniel Ockrent said the White Sox players were abused horribly by Charles Comiskey, who was a man of small mind, tight fist, and a nasty temperament. Bill James, in his historical baseball abstract, wrote in a chapter on the teens that the arch-villain of this villainous era was Charles Albert Comiskey. He had no reason in the world not to deal fairly with his players. The White Sox drew the largest crowds in baseball in this period, even larger than the Giants, yet the White Sox were one of the worst-paying teams. Comiskey had all the power in the relationship, and he had to rub their noses in it. Put Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame? How about if we kick Comiskey out? Marvin Miller echoed this in his memoir, A Whole Different Ball Game, regarding the 1919 World Series. We do not know to what degree the tight-fistedness, mean-spirited, and questionable tactics of the Chicago owner Charles Comiskey contributed to the condition that made the players susceptible to gamblers. But I've always maintained that the question, why isn't Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame, should be supplemented with why isn't Charles Comiskey out. In his introduction to the 1987 paperback edition of Elliot Asinoff's Eight Men Out, Paleontologist and baseball fan Stephen J. Gould wrote, We feel that, whatever the Black Sox did, they were treated unfairly both before and after. Sox owner Charles Comiskey was not only the meanest skinflint in baseball, but a man who could cruelly flaunt his wealth while treating those who brought it to him as peons. Virtually everything Ockrent, James Miller, and Gould wrote about Comiskey is based on Asinoff's book. In Eight Men Out, Asinoff wrote, In 1919, the club owners had agreed to cut the ballplayers' salaries to the bone, despite the fact that they extended the season. Charles Comiskey, owner of the White Sox, had been especially loyal to the agreement. His ballplayers were the best and were paid as poorly as the worst. Donald Honig, in his book Baseball America, wrote, The smug, portly, penurious Charles Comiskey was reason enough to make a man swindle his own ethics. In literally hundreds of books and thousands of articles about Charles Comiskey, none of the authors have the slightest idea who or what Charles Comiskey really was. They have read Eight Men Out, embellished its characterizations of Comiskey, the cheap tyrant, and as a result, what is largely nonsense persists as the prevailing view of Comiskey. In Ken Burns' Baseball, narrator John Chancellor intones, no team played better than the Chicago White Sox, and few teams were paid as poorly. The White Sox were heavily favored to beat the better-paid but far weaker Cincinnati Reds in the World Series. Comiskey was among the game's most parsimonious executives. In fact, in 1919, the White Sox went into the World Series with the highest payroll in baseball, $93,053. Cincinnati was eighth at $76,870. In Eight Men Out, Asinoff provided some salary comparisons between the White Sox and Reds. Joe Jackson's salary was $6,000. Ed Rausch, the leading Reds hitter, though some 40 or 50 percentage points below Jackson, made $10,000. Heine Groh at third base topped Buck Weaver's salary by almost $2,000, and Dutch Ruther was getting almost double Eddie Sicotti's $5,500 salary.
In fact, Ed Rausch, while playing on a two-year, $5,000-per-year contract, led the National League in batting in 1917 with a 341 average, and in 19 he hit 333, finishing two points behind league leader Zach Wheat. In those same seasons, Jackson was playing on a two-year, $6,000-per-year contract extension he had signed with Cleveland a few days before he was sold to the White Sox in 1915. In 1917, he had to hit 444 in the final month of the season to raise his average to a career low 301. In 1918, he jumped the Sox three weeks into the season, 